Hello and welcome to Tape Notes, the podcast that looks behind the scenes at the magic of recording and producing music. Every episode we'll be reuniting an artist and producer and talking through some of the highlights from their collaboration in the studio. So join us as we lift the lid on the creative process and the inner workings of music production to see what lies beneath. Hello, my name is John Kennedy, and joining me for this episode of Tape Notes are Matty and George from the 1975 to talk about how they recorded and produced a brief inquiry into online relationships. The 1975 are a pop rock band from the UK formed of friends Matty Healy, Adam Han, Ross MacDonald and George Daniel. The boys first met each other while attending Wilmslow High School in Cheshire, and as teenagers they started to perform together after a local council worker organised a series of gigs for teens. The group originally started out covering punk songs before beginning to write their own material, performing under a number of different names including Forever Drawing Six, Talk House and Drive Like I Do. They finally settled on the 1975 after being inspired by scribblings found on the back page of a poetry book by Jack Kerouac. In 2012, they released their first EP, Face Down, on the indie label Dirty Hit and subsequently began to establish a loyal fan base, having toured the UK extensively, gaining a reputation for their energetic live performances. Their self-titled debut album followed in September 2013, recorded and co-produced with Mike Crossy. It reached number one on the UK album charts and also proved popular in the States, entering both the Billboard 200 and Billboard Hot Rock Songs charts. The band have since released two albums, hitting the number one spot in the US as well as the UK. Today, I'm here at Spitfire Audio in London with Matty and George from the band to talk about a brief inquiry into online relationships. And what better way to start that conversation than by hearing something from the record. It is Give Yourself a Try. It is the 1975, and I'm very pleased to say that I have Matty and George from the 1975 sat in front of me on a sofa here at Spitfire Audio in King's Cross. Hello. 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 It's great to see you. Now, we should explain, this is the day after your tremendous victory at the Brit Awards. Congratulations. Thank you so much. Oh, um, for so winning much. Best British Group and Best Album mm. for a brief inquiry. Mm-hmm. Um, in which is the album we're going to be talking about today. Okay. So, And we're going to go right back to the beginning of where this record started. Where, where do you think it did start? That's a, but I don't think we've actually answered that question Well, yet. I tell you um, what, I, I suppose that if we talk about... Um, it started with I Couldn't Be More In Love at the end of Making I Like It When You Sleep, right? I think that was the first... Yeah, that was, yeah, that was the first song that has ended up on the record, right? Yeah, I think that somebody else was like one of the last things that we wrote for it's I like it when you sleep. And in that little writing session I also wrote kind of the chorus to I couldn't be more in love 
And that was exciting because we knew that we couldn't add any more rec- songs to the record. But we had this thing that we were excited about. So we were like, okay, well, we have the start of a new thing. Yeah, very so, exciting. Yeah, it goes back a while. So what's the normal writing process? How does it go? Do you two have to be in the same room together or do you go away and play on your own and then bring things together? Um, well, I guess with the past two records and and th- everything prior as well, it kind of all starts when we're writing on the road. Um, I mean, it's mainly because that's all we really want to do in our spare time. Um, but also knowing that when you come off tour you'll be required to make a record (laughs) um but yeah there's a lot of sort of strange little nostalgic memories of to really specific hotel rooms and it's just funny how it does i don't think there's always a direct influence from being in these places sometimes there definitely will be but yeah i I am transported back mm, to those places sometimes yeah i listen to them yeah that's great that you are able to do that so many people struggle to find the time or the inclination well, we're taking to... a fingers crossed and um, making notes on a conditional form at the moment we're going to be touring in america for a lot of it over april um wanting to have it done by august so um it's we're going to have like a tour bus studio so we're, we're setting a recording studio here if we take a quarter of the gear out put it in the back of a tour bus that's that's what we're going to have to make the record so and that's going to be amazing for george because you know it just means that we get a studio. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. I mean, you could even be working on stuff as you're getting from A to B on the tour. We do that anyway, yeah, but right. it's just having the actual, the full setup. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's normally like setting, getting up in the morning, going set up a little, a little rig in the in the dressing room and working on it that way. So. Yeah, but we, but we are lucky in the way that we are, we don't all need to be in a room with each other to be making music. Um, and I think that foundation has actually allowed us. I guess contributed to the way that we've spanned a lot of genre over the well, we, over the history of the yeah, band, and we have we have our own language. Like me and George specifically, like we do spend a lot of time working on stuff together. But a lot of it is I'll talk at George about something that he's created for a certain amount of time. He will then turn that into what I was talking about we will get back together and then we'll start doing it so there's a lot of and then I'll go off for days and and write lyrics and write melodies and come back and then we'll you know so we have such a specific language but we've been doing it since we're 14 yeah and we're 29 so that it's just this natural acquisition of just understanding you know you kind of it's like a game of tennis that you kind of just start predicting which way to go subconsciously yeah, that's really interesting. So there's a lot of communication and a lot of back and forth um, beyond just playing instruments and putting things in, onto a recording. So you're discussing the idea of a sound and oh, what it means as you're doing it. Yeah. Um, and Through and enjoyment so, as well, because mm. debate is fun and music is really weird and kind of exists in that you can't see it. And, you know, it's like... It, 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 makes you really emotional sometimes you don't even understand why so it's we're really fascinated with it as a model and um it's what we do as our as our craft so yeah it is a big we take it really seriously more seriously than we take ourselves (laughs) (laughs) right and so this setup that you would have or you might have had to start the process for for a brief inquiry would have just been a laptop a couple of instruments yeah laptop a tiny little sound card like the one I brought um which you can plug guitar in 
uh, well, any anything straight into. Um, and then we would usually just have a really decent MIDI controller, a guitar and a microphone, and kind of that was all we needed for a while. And banks of sounds that George has spent years yeah. learning which ones have the texture that we like, which yeah, ones a we lot have of, um, we don't. Really great software instruments as well. But uh, I've kind of been getting a bit more into my analog stuff recently as well and uh especially on brief inquiry yeah a lot was, of... when you're making sort of hybrid electronic music you realize that if you're adding any sort of analog chain to what you're doing it'll really bring things to life whether that's sort of you know like i don't know like a valve distortion or um sort of tape emulation stuff like that um and then with with synth is is what i'm really talking about i would much rather if i know what the original sound is from for example i don't know the classic uh, dx7 like electric piano sound that we've used a lot over the years i didn't really know what that was for a long time but i just knew that it sounded like the 80s and we knew we wanted it and there was an inst a software instrument that we used for a while and then uh, couldn't afford to buy DX7 or find one. And then Yamaha came out with the, the Reface DX synth and there was like two amazing electric piano presets on that. And that was like, right, we've finally got this sound. And um, yeah, it's just like kind of having specific sounds that you know how they feel. And then once you discover what they are, w where they actually came from in terms of the instrument and... And to be honest, so you've got to do a lot days. of research. But this is the thing. Yeah. What's kind of cool is that this modern way of working, like you know, you hear a lot of people, like people that I like. We grew up uh, as producers, like admiring people, like you know, Norman Cook, like Fatboy Slim, and people like that. And a lot of that kind of time will talk about how you used that, that like crate sifting was a was a skill. You know, like mm. knowing where to find the weird, interesting records, knowing what things to find, spending hours and hours and hours sifting through the right thing to sample, do you know what I mean? Um, that level of time and investment doesn't happen in record stores anymore, but I'm telling you, it happens within this even bigger, broader world of the kind of the internet and, and the, the amount of banks of sounds that you can go, because we do have to spend a lot of time just going through dross and dross and dross and then something amazing will come out. But that's that whole Brian Eno thing, you know, like inspiration doesn't come looking for you it's like three hours into something that we're bored of and we've tried the thousandth sound. And, and um, what's been interesting is having the model of being like that for a while and knowing what we do, George knowing what he does. And then basically with a brief inquiry, it was kind of George taking every idea that he would have that he would normally have digitally created and then recreating it through an, with an analog sound, which gave the record such a humanity. Like how to draw, like half of that is real. Like a lot of people don't have the time or energy <laughs> to get modular sounds that are that, you know. So it was, it was, um, it gives the record a real texture and humanity. Yeah. How to draw is one of the songs we're going to talk about in just a moment. But the first one we're going to look at is It's Not Living If It's Not With You. Mm. Um, and where did this start what, then, this particular track? Can you remember? Was it a particular place? It was you. We were, in, we were at your old house, weren't we? You, no, you wrote it at your flat, and then we 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 did work on it yeah, online. But it was it was that we time. weren't actually on the road. Yeah, we we just finished 
touring I like it when you say we've just done Latitude and then we started writing that's right and we were about to go to LA and stuff like that um, so we were working on like Inside Your Mind and I Always Want to Die the early the early stages of those songs um, but yeah we've dug out some rather old versions of it which are quite strange but you can hear the sort of the evolution the of the song yeah, yeah. so it started out with this which is what George sent me which was some kind of like bre- brooding goth kind of a bit like simple minds or something yeah like i don't know that. what it is but it's cool because then you can hear the if you if you leave my mic on as well maybe i can talk you through mm, it. yeah please um so let's go. hear it i still really like that synth part <laughs> So this is all George at this stage? Yeah. Yeah, I think it is. I played I played the first bass and guitar. So then you've got the and all I do and think about you. That was starting to come out so yeah, Yeah. So the the first thing that George you sent Matty was pretty evolved. Wasn't it? I mean, how long well, did it take to, to get this. all those little parts down? So this is probably a couple of days after the first inception. Yeah. You can hear me playing guitar in there. We thought that that part sounded too much like naive melody. Yeah, naive melody by it. Talking Heads. It was too close. Yeah. If you turn it up and then listen to this, you've obviously got the chorus. It's kind of darker and a bit more brooding. So it has got the top guitar part. I, I can't believe how fully formed it is already at this stage. I mean, obviously you've taken bits out, you know, that, that you, you know, like the bit that you thought was like naive melody or whatever. But, mm. um, but at the same time, it's so fully formed. I, yeah, I think it's, I mean, it sounds a little scratchy if you put the other one on, but um, <laughs> I think the main thing that I always try and do is create something that has an identity to bring to Matty, whether the exactly. parts are right or whether it's, the perfect progression for him to write a chorus over like those things kind of they can change a fair bit mm. George um, is really good with stuff like my attention span and my kind of childishness so he knows if he presents me an idea that is too rudimentary and needs too much explanation of where it needs to go whereas he could just invest another half an hour and make it obvious as to what it is he'll do that so I don't go no, I want to do something. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. And well, also, I guess, does that give you something to react to well, I just, yeah, as well? He too? knows that it's about how excited I am. Mm. You know, right? right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So you've got to keep Matty excited, George. Yeah. <laughs> like a babysitter. It's difficult, yeah. There's a finite amount of time from when you're working in the same room excited to when you turn around and take your headphones off and Matty's just asleep. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Very true. So, so you, you'd got this already to the stage where Matty had added a couple of bits of guitar. You're already debating, oh, no, we, we'll drop that line because that's too much like something else. Um, and then what happens next? So we go to this where we get rid of the big intro and all of the guitars come in and it, it think, loses its kind of... Um, I think we changed the key after that as yeah, well. Yeah, I think we went up or... Yeah, we went up a bit, and because I realised that this also used to the all I do came quite late. The original chorus was the bit that I sing at the end, which is like Johnny got a job in a bank, oh, yeah. I think, or something like that. So the whole Johnny got a job in a bank, I think, and he spent a time trying to pack in the drink. That was the chorus for ages, and I didn't quite like it that much. So, but yeah, so then it goes to this, which is is this? How does it start? Yeah, this starts with the the guitar straight in. Straight in there. So this hasn't got the the, the bells. Ding ding mm. ding 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 ding. See, this is another chord, another verse another that verse. we had. The demo verse. Yeah. This one was a bit faint, a bit yeah. soft. We didn't like this. We thought it kind of was a bit lazy. It's just copying the bass line from the intro and just. And all, the, all these drum parts, are they just done on the, the keyboard? Or? Yeah, so I guess going back to um, what I was saying originally with kind of the identity of a track, um, the fundamentals of the drum sound was like a Lin drum anyway. That was um, The snare sample is the same one that ended up on the final version. Um, so in in between this phase and the finished version we recorded a live kit and it becomes kind of a hybrid with the the lindrum sample right um but it effectively keeps the same stylistic um yeah keeps the same aesthetic there's a lot of that that happens you know when you talk about like being fully formed like there is a lot of identity to our demos so there is a lot of stuff that stays Mm. You know, the bass always gets redone, the guitars always get redone, but there's a lot of like, there's a real specificity to that drum sound. Like even in the way that it's kind of kind of nostalgic, like it's like, if that had like a really dark live indie snare, sound rubbish, like the song would be pretty rubbish. So it's, it, <laughs> a lot of this stuff hangs on these kind of things, yeah. you know. Yeah, but it's interesting how that identity is created so early on, or can be. Mm. Um, I think that's Okay, hold on, us. this is interesting. Oh yeah. This is the first time we get bridge. the bridge, which I think is the same bridge, right? Yeah, it is. It's familiar. So you'd have the. Oh, can't stop sweating. I control my feet. I was up late last night. Did I get you? <laughs> <laughs> can't eat. I can stage a situation. So this is starting to become the song. That's right. You said, oh, I didn't sit and think about you. I knew that we had something, though. Yeah. When we got to this stage, because it was making me really kind of camply dance around. <laughs> That's when I know we're onto something. Well, I, I, I'm kind of pretty blown away by how much of a hit it already sounds like to me. <laughs> you know. Um, to be fair, Jay, like I, I go through all of these stages at the time. Like the, 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 us making a record is like this is incredible. To like this is honestly awful. Like we are rubbish band. And um, <laughs> I remember sending it to Jamie and just being like, "Yeah, I don't know about this thing. It's kind of cool. It's kind of not." And Jamie was like, 
you know, it's it's good. He loved it. And it became one of the massive defining songs of the record. Yeah. And then where did it go to? So do I remember we found the piano? Yeah, so that, that demo was the last thing as a demo before we went into a studio to kind of record things expensively and properly and with an engineer and make sure that everything sounded as good as it could at source. But one of the really cool things, we were in Conway in LA um, and we hired this piano for the whole session and it had a really weird mod on it that was this lever that you pulled up and it changed the hammers to, I think, hitting one string because am i right in thinking a piano is like the equivalent there's this old and an octave either side of a string or something like that and it changes it into sounding like a a harpsichord kind of thing what they used to do basically is this hack on old pianos where you would put like a tax you know like what do you call them like pin drawing pins pins. you put them in the hammers so when you play the piano, it sounds like a honky-tonk piano. I mean, you ruin the hammers, but it's kind of a cool... This kind of did that. So it made this like honky-tonk sound. We'd never seen anything like it, and we've tried to find a piano that has one, but apparently it was just this crazy been guy Googling, who modded his piano. Been Googling, right. like, so this guy piano just... with lever. And it's not very successful. <laughs> and this yeah, guy, play it sounds the, um, so cool, and it's just this guy's piano, so we can never cool. recreate it. Um, but yeah, with them... And I played the guitar part. The guitar part on it. And did and did you know it had this modification before? Well, I was no, playing on the piano, and then George came next to me and pulled it, and it went clong 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 clong. But it was just serendipity. It was lovely because we were, we love like chance. twelve stringy, chorusy, big kind of new wavy guitar sounds, and this just sounded like a texture. Play it. So it sounds a bit like a harpsichord, but it doesn't have that thinness. It has the whole body of a piano behind it. So play it, George. And then then if you put the whole track in with it. Oh, we then wanted to. What do we do? We put 12 string on it. Oh, yeah. And then it all kind of just blends into sounding like a jangly guitar, which is great, but super percussive. So you get loads of rhythm in it. And then if you put it in with the track, like it really is really, and you've heard that first, you can feel that leading the percussion, which is really cool. You know, it was really going forwards, you know. Just about syncopation. Yeah. And if you do it in kind of like traditionally white music, it just makes it better, yeah. right? You know, like you know yeah. what I mean, like yeah. using all of the rules of black music in post-punky pop stuff. You know, it just makes it groovier and cooler. It sounds quite yeah. celebratory with it. I think the principle of using a bell yeah. sound is a bit right. like it brightens like, it and makes yeah. it all happy, mm. <laughs> Pereni- perennially like festive. Yeah, to quote Laura Snape's again, two days in a row. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's uh, it's just so interesting hearing this. What's, that, what's another interesting sound on there, George? Cause this I love one of the... Uh, well, a lot of the synths ended up on here, but my two favourite sounds on the song are probably that, and then... Uh, the ah. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, the voices, the ah. Uh, it's really uh, cool. The thing is, though, once guy. you hear these things, you'll be able to hear them in the track. Uh, 
there's a quality that a voice brings, the sound of a voice brings to like music. So if you can kind of, you wouldn't notice that that has a vocal quality until you put it on. It just sounds like a just part of the music. But again, I think it kind of sounds like brass when it's in the track. But that's not a vocal sample. That is. It is. Vo- uh, it is a vocal. It, right. Yeah. Well, to be fair, that's you're hearing two sounds there. You're hearing a pad, and you're hearing uh, the vocal synth. It is a. But you'll be able a, to hear it when we put it in the track now. So a lot of this stuff made it just made the song, you know. Yeah, yeah. And, and d- then if we go back to um, go back to the day one demo, you'll be able to pick that out now. Comes in in the second half, I'm pretty sure. So this is when we introduced the parts, guitar, and now you got more guitars and pads. Two, three, go. So that hasn't got that synth oh, in it, it in the intro, but you can hear the absence of it. Is it in the chorus? Must be. Yeah. Yeah, it's quiet. Yeah. It's quite nice doing this. Yeah, it's, it is cool. So a lot of the ambience, and again, like the sort of the stylistic elements, they will last. Otherwise, that, I, I think that's what keeps us going on a song is if you ever lose sight of the identity of the song, you usually stop. It's not just if you, I don't know, start struggling with the narrative or, mm. I don't know, I think we either love something straight away and we know exactly what the production should be yeah. or we're a bit like it kind of you know, just d- diminishes if you lose sight of the aesthetic of what the recording should be kind of make you feel regardless of mm. the content. We have quite a high hit rate in regards to stuff that gets started with excitement and stuff that actually gets finished eventually. Uh, we do not finish stuff a lot, but like we don't have to sift through loads of George's stuff to get something that we want to work on. You know, it's pretty, yeah. it happens pretty quickly. And in terms of, say, like listening to the music there, does that have any impact on, on the words you write to go with that music? Because obviously we're listening to that and we're feeling a so certain the way, thing. So the way that it starts is it starts with scatting. It starts with phonetics and rhythm. So it has to be not catchy, but I have to like it as much as I like that guitar part. So it's not, you know, it's, it's like that. And then it's not, and then the words come. So a lot of the time I'll let, how does this sound? I'll let the words write themselves do. <laughs> I'll just let whatever comes out be shapes, and I'll go, okay, well, that is a shape that has to be a real word. So it's not living, 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 if it's not with you. So I get it's not living with you, not you. I think, okay, what does that mean? What does that mean? I go, right, okay, I know what that means. I know what I, how I feel about that, about something. And then I'll have an idea. That's when I get really excited, like when I have a really obvious, concise idea, the ballad of me in my brain. I have to look for my brain physically, inside your mind. I want to physically look at my partners, what they're thinking. Like when I have a concise narrative, then I'm off. Do you know what I mean? Then I'm sweet. It's finding that concise narrative that's really, really difficult for me. So um, the only thing that I think, I think I write about all of my fears and my insecurities and those kind of things. And I love 
music that makes me feel a certain way i love like beautiful music so that's why it's always twinned like we always have these songs that are maybe about like he- heavier darker subjects but have this kind of almost um not a sweetness but it's kind of saccharine element to them because you know there's a weirdness it's kind of offset um slightly uncomfortable beauty um so um so yeah but that's that's what this song kind of turned into yeah yeah um the final thing is um the there was a gospel choir choirs are difficult even in the way that we dressed our choir for sincerity at the brits i didn't want to do the robes the whole like the whole thing but anyway the celebratory element of lots of people singing is a unit that goes back to folk music god it's all in loads of music it's really important to us talking heads always did it amazingly and a lot of it was because they wouldn't have these enormous harmony parts wouldn't be like 16 part oh my god glory to god harmonies it was kind of like a gang vocal so we wanted like a soulful gang vocal i think and then that was the brief for george and from me and i obviously knew he would sort that out so we got lgc uh london community gospel choir lcg i can't do that lcd tracked him up god that we'd love that wouldn't we <laughs> um no yeah i think I think we kind of knew. We wanted them to be quite uptight and all I yeah. do. Not very like. We wanted super it to be like slinky. zany. Zany. Like kind of, yeah, I guess that's the word. <laughs> zany. That's a good word. So do you give them these instructions? Oh, yeah. They They've sing? got to listen. So you, yeah. 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 There's a lot of me going like, look at me, look at me, look at me. Do it like this. And I'll put my shoulders up. And be like, look <laughs> right. Don't look at me. <laughs> don't look at Turn me. around. So, so that's, a, that's a physical instruction, isn't it? To create a certain uh, shape a body in type. your diaphragm. Exactly. And, and then they'll, be, yeah. they'll not know yeah. what to do. And then let it go. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but yeah, interesting. Yeah, so um, let me hear it. Let me hear the choir. There'll just be loads of harmonies now. Well, it's actually one harmony. It's one pedal note, two octaves of the main melody. Yeah, we had to make them. Not sing it smoothly, it had to be really staccato. It's not living if it's not with you. You had to get all that. Did it take long to get them to? No, they're pros, man. After a while, like, you know, they sing it like amazing for Mm. a start, but then you just need to get them to get out of their comfort zone a little bit. Yeah. Um, I can't, it's so weird when when I hear these things broken down. I would be happy just to hear, think, wow, I've achieved that. (laughs) I mean, just to hear the choir sing that is just amazing on its own, isn't it? It's 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 funny how. It gives you a bit more context, I guess, or sort of objectivity to hear someone else start singing your song in the yeah. studio. Yeah, and that you're like, is oh, cool. actually, no, this is what we imagined. This is a song. Yeah. Yeah, it's not some, just an idea that we're worried about. Sometimes the choir will start singing and you're like, oh, no, it didn't work. <laughs> it's not work. Although, to be fair, that hasn't actually ever happened where we've canned it. We've no, just but had it's to just been different wrestle with thought. it a little bit. So, yeah, um, I think... Um, I but think that yeah, kind that was, of that, that sums up the, that yeah. ends the song there. Let's hear let's hear the whole thing then, the okay, whole the finished sure. version. Oh yeah, that's just a blast of it.
It's such a widescreen vision, I think, for musicians in the modern, well, in any era, because they have to think about all these things. Because so, so you've got, say, in rock, you've got bands who jam together and they stumble across things, and and that's cool and exciting too. But then, so many other musicians then have a much wider thing that involves. Everything. The thought of something before you can make it a reality, because obviously most a lot of musicians are able to just pick up the instrument and they get to that bit there. Um, so in a way, the power of your imagination necessitated your embracing of technology to realise. Yeah, I think the so. ideas I think it was kind of not believing that we'd a- that we'd be able to um, kind of produce up our ideas without a producer, because we hadn't really been validated as producers yet and kind of i guess jamie also came along and was like well you should make these eps because that's the best thing for it and then it seems so obvious to say that now but it was a bit like we were waiting for someone else to come along and go here's your sound because we didn't think we were capable of it and also we're 18 at this point and i was kind of i was at college i did music tech it was only a b-tech so i didn't like i didn't do like a degree but um yeah, I was learning the bare minimum that would allow us to kind of really get involved in the production of it. And um turns out that our imaginations were vivid enough yeah. Yeah. for it to, and the, to the, start the, sort of working. The stuff that you were learning, you were able to apply and use to, yeah. to, to try I mean, and realise some of the I was just learning how to use logic and, uh, I mean, we were on Cubase initially and... Uh, the bare bones of, I don't know, like things like structure and what different sounds would kind of have different connotations, I guess, within electronic music, because this is all I was making. It was a weird time. It was like, remember, like, we were this emo, post-emo band. In a room. In a room, math-rocky. Yeah. So the so what was happening amongst our peers as well Emo as a form was being deconstructed everywhere. So you had this really mathy arm where everyone was tapping on the guitar and this other arm that was like more a bit, we we were actually a bit too good on our instruments to be like Joan of Arc emo, where it's like, you're in, it's just chaos and wrong chords, yeah. you know, like, so we were kind of in this middle stage. And by the time we got to 17, 18 and George and me, not as much, but George started getting really interested in production our interest in production, our kind of knowledge of where bands were going and our kind of start of our apprenticeship into dance music and ambient music all happened at the same time. Yeah, so you I had was going to say of, that we were massively into house music at the time. Um, which is where you got a lot of your structure from because the, we didn't get that from emo. Then yeah. George would be listening to house music and we'd start writing in loops. Yeah. And that was it. Then it was the 1975. And... The city, we right? came across LCD sound system yeah. at the time, and we were like, "Oh, hang on, this is what they they don't write in chords yeah. and original structures and an A B A C sections. It was this linear thing that would just sort of build and build in momentum, and that's what we noticed. That I mean, that is house music. Mm. So and and the- to be honest, naturally, when you're trying to write music and it's starting off really programmed and robotic, you can press L on your keyboard and it'll loop apart. So when you're trying to quickly be inspired and quickly start something, you'll just loop stuff so that you've got a, a minute of music instead of 10 seconds. And then you go, oh, well, that's actually more effective if you've, I don't know, for example, like even 
the earlier songs like Sex, Matty plays one chord for the entire song and the bass line just changes underneath. There's and all these for some reason that is more emotional than if he plays the chords of what the bass is playing and, and we just sort it's of It's like tension and kind yeah. of like release and like all these things we just learn naturally from the ages of like fourteen to twenty three. It wasn't like we went to music college. We learn all of this through trial and error. And I think that's the way that you really learn, do you know what I mean? So Yeah, I didn't learn any of that stuff at college. Um these are all ideas that yeah, we stumbled across really. Yeah. I mean, this does relate to the next song we're going to look at, How to Draw Petrichor, because that combines elements in a way of that discovery of of dance music. Yeah, massively. Um, um, How to Draw speaks volumes of the next record, I think. Um, I, I think mean, it's, it's as far to that side as we'd ever been as well, like massively. And um, Yeah, yeah. But the thing is, we've always been these places in our heads, and there's so many demos of stuff that have made it, never made it to records. Like we've ventured into garage music and full-on house music for years yeah, and years no, and years, and people kind of get surprised when they listen. Like say we brought when we put out um, a brief inquiry and stuff like that. It's like going to all of these strange places. They're all places that we've been before. We just never put it out or anything. So it's kind of like, um, yeah, it was kind of it was a, it was almost building of confidence in order to. Be like, yeah, we're gonna nice we're gonna go there on the record, um, and I think because we were producing it ourselves, we didn't question it as much at all on, yeah. on brief inquiry. Um, so I guess it becomes less compromised at that point. Yeah. So it, and this is the payoff for being your own bosses <laughs> in effect, yeah, yeah. having found your own sound yourselves. Yeah, well, and I mean, trusting it's not... yourselves, then you can like, well, now we can. No, listen, the best person, to, yeah. the best person to write a 1975 music video is me. Do you know what I mean? There's no one better at it than me. There's nobody better at making the records or making it sound how we want it to sound than George. All of it gets filtered through George. You know, yeah. when our tour is how George wants it to sound. I mean, we have Jay. He's this amazing world-class sound thing, but it's not about people's subjective opinion. <laughs> the uh, 1975 is not Adam's about a, that. Adam's a big part of the... Um, the, the sonic logistics of the live stuff. Yeah, a um, Adam is like our... He's great at facilitating, at carrying out the, the operation. The live show just simply wouldn't happen without hands to I don't have the patience to, to do it. No. <laughs> and I, so, so imagine me. <laughs> you may have heard us talk about Tape It before, and if you haven't, then let me fill you in, as they are the sponsor of today's episode with a fantastic offer for you. Tape It is an iPhone recording app made by musicians for musicians. Many of our guests on Tape Notes, music industry friends and listeners rely on voice notes to record their early ideas. People like the Lumineers, Ezra Collective and Fred again have all shared recordings with us made on voice notes. But what you wouldn't have heard are the long pauses where they're searching for those recordings. We wouldn't want to put you through that. As you can understand, organising and finding the right notes, let alone a specific part, can be a nightmare. Tape It solves all of that voice memo chaos with intuitive labelling features, including automatic instrument detection, markers and collaborative mixtapes, meaning you can share band practices, organise set lists and brainstorm ideas with co-writers and band members. Plus, you can record straight from your lock screen and attach text and photo notes to each recording. One of our favourite features within Tapeit Pro is that you can record in stereo using two microphones along with gentler dynamic compression to give a much more natural sound than any of the usual apps. It's a huge upgrade to the microphone and all-round audio quality. It really helps support the podcast whenever you engage with our sponsors. So if Tapeit sounds like an app you'd use, then do us a favour. 
pause the episode, head to the link in a recent episode show notes or visit tape.it forward slash tape notes and give tape it a go. That's tape.it forward slash tape notes. You can download for free or use the promo code tape notes for 50% off tape it pro. Thank you. And now on with the show. Did you do it? Honestly, Tape It is fantastic. All of the Tape Notes team members are complete converts. And excitingly, some of our guests have started to use it as well. So I really would recommend checking it out. So how to draw Petrichor? Two songs brought together? Essentially, yeah, 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 yeah pretty much. One, um, one song that never reached its full... One song that we always liked, but we, we recorded it backstage at the Plymouth Pavilions in about three hours, whilst George also made a haunted house out of the dressing room where you got... A, was it you, Halloween? It wasn't Halloween. This is why it was so <laughs> weird. Because you made a haunted house and you went on and got loads of clip art and it said, ooh, spooky haunted house on the door. And I went in and you were sat in there with a smoke machine and a strobe light with loads of witches' noises on. I think I found and a really good... he made his own little good, ghost train. I think... <laughs> In between making Petrichor. I think I found a really good, like, draw, scary loop of or sample of something. <laughs> Have you got the original How to Draw on here? Uh, because basically what it was, it was a B-side on a, on an, on a, no, on a, on a piece of vinyl that we did. Um, so you could only get it if you bought the box set for I Like It When You Sleep. I'm sure yeah, it made I've its way onto YouTube. Here. So this is what it was, How to Draw. It started out with this piece of music and it never quite reached its... I don't know, it's just... So it's a B-side on the 7-inch that came with the pink box. That's right. Right. And this is recorded in two hours at Plymouth Pavilion. Yeah, this is, there's nothing right. real so backstage on it. At Plymouth well, we Pavilions. just wrote it. I wrote, I played this piano into the keyboard as a kind of jam thing, but it's like three or four notes. So I only did it once. George probably took one or two mistakes out. That was the structure. I wrote, I had these lyrics, and then, yeah, it, it's also if we give ourselves like time, like make something of value that is the 1975 in two hours. Like we can do that. We can do that if we really set ourselves, because what have you got to do? You've just got to focus all of the things that you do. you just got to focus. The 1975 is just kind of a presentation of identity. Do you know what I mean? Really now with the amount of slow songs and short songs and this and that and references and videos, it's just kind of like a continual self-referential thing. So it's nice to have these like short little songs. But this was, um, if you listen to it, it's like what I was saying before, like all art is a, ca is a captured moment. So that's what people resonate with. And this is nice. But I think like as a producer, I listen to this and I think it is beautiful. But the reverb's not very clever. <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's, it's not using the space that... It inspires me as a musician, as a, as a um, songwriter, I suppose, or whatever. But it doesn't really inspire me as a producer. And it certainly didn't, uh, it therefore doesn't inspire George as a producer. So, um, But what made you return to it then? Because you um, still loved it and because you thought you could realise something For me, better, before George or... talks about it, for me, it was because it was in this middle point. Yeah. It didn't exist. It existed in no man's land. It wasn't part of I Like It When You Sleep and it wasn't part of um, a brief inquiry. And when we got to brief inquiry, I wanted to bring it over there because I knew it was of quality and it was actually more about that time than it was the time before it. Hmm. You can hear the original ideas here. 
has George's little beautiful acoustic guitar things and stuff. So in this version, that little rise there, that little rise and fall that happens after the vocals each time, it returns to itself, it doesn't go somewhere else. Whereas it feels like this kind of transition. So that's felt obvious that it needed to go somewhere new. If you can, um, if we can kind of A and B the vocal between, there's such an extreme difference because I think yeah. that's what we should talk about. That was the thing that really changed it for me. Like George, when we were in LA, figured out this thing, this combination of bass, 30 of my voice and something to, there's this, um, well, just put it on. Like you can talk about it, man, because you know what's going on. Yeah, we also recorded use it for the vocals intro. on a 58 in a dressing room. Yeah, an SM58. Right, so a standard microphone that you'd see in any yeah. venue around the world. Exactly, we just um, recorded that all on a That has probably broken many teeth in its time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, Let's have a listen to that, how to draw vocal part. Or we'll listen to it in the track, because there's not much going on, but like... Like, that's a real dulcet tone, like, all these sounds are real. Yeah, we should talk about the dulcimer in a sec. Yeah. yeah. So this is it re-recorded in LA? Or, yeah. 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 And... Have we got the vocals by themselves? Yeah. But then this time you then applied this new technique? Well, you to- know what it was? It came from listening to the... The latest Bon Iver record and all the vocoders, you, you can't really figure out what is a vocoder and what's like subs. And it makes the vocals just sound so, like, just so brutal. And you like, hear it on a lot of stuff like chant stuff and like kind of yeah. Francis and the Lights kind of stuff. That whole scene uses just that a idea. huge vocoder sound. And, um, well, this isn't actually a vocoder. This is like big stacks of harmonies and then uh, amazing isotope plugin called vocal synth which is um super cool you can kind of do anything on it and change the source vocal into sine wave or square wave and it'll turns it into a synth and then it's actually just a bass underneath a sort of rolling bass and the reason you get away with it blending into the vocal is because the glide of the notes matches the glide in the vocal mm. i mean i'll play the bass because it's mm. really not very not really anything i'd say so you don't feel that you only feel it when it when when you hear it with the vocals and then yeah with the vocals it it sounds like this big monstrous barry white doing a vocoder underneath
What a combination. Yeah, and there's a lot of, we use the OP-1 a lot on this. Yeah, the OP-1, that was a cool kind of thing that we found as well. We sampled Matty singing the line into the OP-1, and then on the... Let me just, because you're so technically advanced, the OP-1 is this synth, right? It's a synth that you can basically, if you're really basic, you can record into it. So if you're looking at it, it's got like a keyboard on it, you know, C up to C, and then you can essentially hold one of the keys down and it'll record you singing into the mic. So you can go like, ooh, take your finger off, and then you can go, ooh. That's a pretty great mic on it. You can have your voice as a piano. So we would do that a lot. Um, that's the way that I understand it anyway. <laughs> so go on. And then, but no, yeah, and then we sort of, you sang the line in to... Oh, yeah, uh, it's, yeah, like, I've not learned. And then we'd play it an octave up, which would speed it up. And they'd go, I'm not. Yeah, like and then chipmunk. we'd put auto-tune on the return of it. And because it's still monophonic, the auto-tune will still track it. So you can, and basically on the OP1 as well, the, the pitch bend on it is an octave. So if you hold one note and then do the pitch bend, it will glide up in the scale that the auto-tune is set to. Which is really beautiful. Up the octave. So that's what all those like chipmunks are. I'm trying to, I'm trying to find them. There they are. <laughs> See, now you've put that in my, I'm, I'm visualising lots of chipmunks. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> What's that film, Alvin? Alvin yeah, the Chipmunks. Yeah, but yeah. I think it's, um, yeah, it's just all that stuff is a lot of movement in what you'd see as quite a linear part. So, um, And then... Um, but yeah, it's so ugly the way that that's actually played. You're just holding one note and just going... <laughs> and the auto-tune, because it's in a major scale, that's what's stepping correctly. Um, um, and then when the kind of, I suppose, the next point of real interest is when it drops. Um, interesting beat as well, because like the chord pattern's really weird. It's a weird set of bars, and it's all on the back foot as well. Like, it doesn't go. Mm. It doesn't go forwards. It kind of leans right back. It never is. It's not actually four to the floor at any point. No, it's yeah. not, is it? Yeah. The which, kick or the snare. Which for me was really evident when I saw it perform live yeah. recently. Because when I'm listening to it at home, and it was a big tune for me from the album, you know, I think it really kicks off. Yeah, and, yeah. and I'm kind of raving in my own world. It's slightly my more restrained. And I was it? thinking, oh, when they play that live, that's going to really kick off. And instead, it, it stayed quite serene, really. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it, um, it is quite on the back foot. There's a lot of that, like, because garage music and, you know, it's very easy to be very tacky when you know how to get reaction from people, you know? Mm. Like when you know, like, boom, 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 boom. You know, or like the mum drop, as we call it, which is everywhere, <laughs> you know, like a drop for your mum. Uh, boing, 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 boing. Whatever all that you stuff is. You need a marimba is. going. Bling, 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 <laughs> bling, 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 bling. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that whole stuff is about. So there's so many hacks. There's lots of mind hacks in music in the in the keep people's attention for three minute model. So we like to kind of play with that. I suppose. Yeah. So um, the the idea of of a transition into something else was there in a way when you listen back to that original Plymouth Pavilions mm. recording, you, you, you could kind of see, oh, maybe this could go, go, go somewhere else. It felt, um, it didn't feel unfinished, but it felt unresolved, as a lot mm. of stuff does in our back catalogue, uh, if the song never actually resolves. So um, it's, yeah, it just felt like I wanted to have that as part, as a basis. And then I knew that if I had that, it would go somewhere interesting with George. 
playing with it. So yeah, yeah, I'm trying to remember exactly where the sort of the idea came from. I think to be honest, we've always been like two of our favorite things were like the burial untrue record mm. and um, kind of all John Hopkins. We yeah, were really listening to it at the time because those two artists are incredible in the production, but musically a lot of the time still very major and so it's yeah. still very pretty and really beautiful john hopkins has this ability to kind of make like really transcendental insanely experiential music that still exists in like really familiar major chord progressions which is really difficult to do the last time it was done at the most beautiful it can be done would be on tack by sigaros it's the last time the major key in that kind of thing was taken to its most kind of fractured and most beautiful and um that's kind of what we're always trying to achieve you know mm. i think it forces you for the production to be really something as well because it is rudimentary it is simple it mm. is mary had a little lamb um, <laughs> but yeah there's there's ways around it and those two artists for us were masters and cigarettes yeah definitely the masters of that oh man and so petrichor existed or you had created it no it we, george created it and um, well what the court no petrichor did exist it yeah find did. it i'm trying to find uh, let me hear. was it called petrichor it was called petrichor this is the b-side into Okay, so this is, we don't have the original separate version of Petrichor, but this is when we had the old version of Petrichor and we just literally linked them all together on a logic file. So this should go into the old version of Petrichor. So yes, they were two separate things. Yes. I've just remembered that. So yeah. the, and you took the original uh, recording of the B-side that was done in Plymouth and, and then just kind of thought, oh, we've got this other we thing. How about these trying these out? We should yeah. hear it happen about now. Crossfade. Yeah, that guitar's in there. Right. And you hear, wow, like the little... That distortion's on So this demo. was basically me. I had these two chords. And I had these guitars. And George gave it this. This is the early demo. Yeah, the drums still sounding pretty small at this point. It's all there, though, man. The, the whole, the whole part's mm. there. It didn't go into the, the heavy beat or anything. It still has that modular. It's vibey. I, I, I remember loving this demo, obviously, because it's like I loved how low fire drums were. There was actually a version, I should have dug it out, that was my ill preparation, but there is a version without that that modular, the synth that goes Yes, there up, was a I version without you. the modular synth. Um, because that this was that was a toy that I bought. This is the stuff that's cool. Like you hear that thing going in the background. Bum 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 bum. But it has a real personality and a real kind of tone to the way that it works. And it's because it's not just a loop that you found in a soft synth that does that. That was George, you know, trying to get it in time in the way that you would like, you know, old DJ. You know, it's like yeah. just modular stuff. You just gotta try and yeah, capture it, it when it happens. Well, it was my literally my first venture into modular world and it was there was no midi going into it was, it was a make noise 
um, No Coast is the little Shout module. out to Make Noise, that's a yeah. hell of an instrument. And um, yeah, there was no MIDI going to it. It was literally just me playing with the gates and the modulation of a sine wave or of a, of a saw and a sine wave that I'd had to tune using a guitar tuner. So I didn't know any... And there was nothing clocking it. It was really ugly. George has just done YouTube and, for about um, two weeks, just like, how do <laughs> modular synths work? <laughs> and it's just an entirely different language. But um, This is interesting, though, because that, that idea that you're still kind of getting YouTube lessons, which is obviously what a lot of people now a do. That's the joke, do, isn't it? That's the joke every time, like, our sound guy comes back after two weeks. We're like, you ready? He's like, yeah, I've been on YouTube all night. <laughs> so it's kind of like, but but you're always learning. You're always learning, you know? Like, yeah, you do yeah, learn yeah. things of YouTube. Play the texture of that, though, because this is beautiful, this texture. Yeah, this is the synth on its own. To be honest, yeah. it's, it's side-chained by this point. And that's why it's kind of sucking in. Explain what a side chain is. Uh, so side chaining is where you'll be compressing the signal and you'll f you'll show the compressor something to duck. It's explain kind of it like, like I'm a six year old. <laughs> well, I can't explain. <laughs> Compression. Explain the concept of it. Basically, when the bass drum hits, the synth drops. Right, drops down. Yeah, it's I don't know. The traditional use of side chaining is so that you could hear a bass drum through a bass guitar that was super subby or something so that you'd still hear the transient of it. Um, but you can use it for rhythmical effect. So you're, the movement of it in, and the way that it goes is um, from triggering into, into the compressor. Yeah. I'm, there you go, kids. That is not a good explanation. <laughs> it's not <laughs> a good explanation, but is, maybe that makes it but, sound um, even more complicated than it is. Just YouTube side-chain <laughs> no, But the, the, the important thing, or the interesting thing, the uh, educational thing about this, about learning about the 1975 and how you put things together, is that you are still learning about it. Yeah. You know, that you're yeah. still thinking, hmm, how do I do this? And then staying up all night, trying to figure it out and the then applying stuff. it immediately though to what you're doing you know what you're working on yeah, yeah that's where it comes from man it's like you know you want to be a cowboy right not a farmer you know you want to just go off to somewhere new as opposed to keep the place that you know in perfect condition so um though we should point out there's value in both no sorry i was just about to say i always use that analogy and just say listen i'm never i'm not i'm not knocking farmers and i also don't think i'm a cowboy i'm just saying that there's an inherent thing in us where we're drawn to places that we've not been mm. and we're kind of uncomfortable in places that we have just creatively um so george is just looking <laughs> up see here we go off wikipedia perhaps the most common application particularly in music with electronic elements is to use the side chain compressor to let the kick drum to punch a little hole right through the bass That's line. That's worse than that, mine. No, that makes sense to me. So basically, you've got the bass line. <laughs> and boom, I boom, said boom, that boom, boom, about boom, bass. Boom, 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 boom. And you've got doom, doom, doom. Basically, what you do is you, you let the... When the bass drum hits, boom, the bass actually drops a little bit. So the bass drops in level a little bit. So it leaves room for the bass drum. But... If you do that to the bass, boom, with the bass drum, like almost imprint that on it, then take the bass drum out, you'll have this affected bass line that's affected by this dropping rhythm. Boom, 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 boom. You know what I mean? It, mm -hmm. you, you start to... Oh, it's, a, it's like hammering in, into it. Typical is dance music. The offbeat of dance music. That's not actually someone going, playing on those offbeat eighth notes or whatever. That's side chaining. Yeah, yeah. It's that's, a kind of a, a resulting effect on 
what exactly. they've been doing exactly. but it creates another thing of so its there'll own, probably be music is... engineers listening to this like guys we know what side chaining is <laughs> <laughs> so and then how I mean, at, at what point did you think oh this is it we've got the solution this is the the combination we were searching for this is uh, yeah that is a good question with this song um Dude, we, we hate we go through loving songs and then hating them and then not listening to them for a month and then pulling them out and actually being like, no, I think that's finished. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I don't know. We probably yeah. hated this. Just because I mean, but, but both elements are are great in mm. themselves. You know, and I, I love the the kind of um, almost uh, childlike wonder aspect of of how to draw yeah. at the start and then and it's then like a day. It's just, like a day and a night. It's mm. kind of the vibe. It's like a day and a night yeah. in in England, waking up in the kind of dewy, mossy fields of where we are, and then traveling back to london through all the concrete at night one of the things actually that we really wanted to achieve and probably helped us decide when it was finished with the beat section was to not have any obvious loops which again is something that um repetition kills modern dance music and that's a weird thing to say because the rule is about repetition but you george taught essentially taught me this he was like you know what we love about all of that modular modern stuff is that it is technically looping it's the same part but, but you never hear the Tom same Brilly, thing you're not yeah. hearing the never same, hear the same thing, thing. tom once. york does that as well quite well yeah like so so let's um let's hear that transition from how to draw into petrichor and have a bit of the beat but i know exactly what you're saying sure. because as you listen to petrichor evolve it seems to carry on well, evolving evo- and, and evolving the, the one thing i was going to say was about the drums was um the original loop was put into this modular system and I was just playing, changing the waveform and changing the LFO and the um, the shape of the square wave distortion, basically, in, in this modular um, make-noise system. And the result is this distortion that doesn't really ever loop and it changes in pitch and the part is looping, but the details in the sort of distortion is, is different every time and that's why it doesn't... It's elegant. Feel and it's linear. Yeah. It's thoughtful. Linear. 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 <laughs> let's have a let's have a blast of it. Oh yeah, here you go. Here's the drum. Big up. <laughs> it's a bad, bad man beat that. Uh, I think it goes more extreme here. Oi. such a track and such a great place it occupies because yeah. it, it, it seems to be at the right point you know where, where it's palette, in the center palette cleanser. yeah yeah totally totally it wasn't designed nothing is designed in that way and um, it just it, it's it you know it's just what feels right mm. um you can't really you just need to let it, you know the the track <laughs> the track listing will kind of tell you what it is do you know what i mean like it's it's quite if you just put enough thought of it it's obvious where songs sit next to each other complement each other
I like America and America likes me. That was the next song we were going to have a look at. Uh, the last yes. of the three. Well, I think the, I suppose the first bit of information to explain about this was that um, me and George are massively into all contemporary music. It's very lucky to be run, helping run a label with with Jamie and um, and it's um, been it's an amazing thing. So very onto what's going on at the moment. What the, I suppose the sound of the zeitgeist is. I think this is probably that I wanted something hyper modern, hyper anxious. It didn't have lyrics until like the last week. I couldn't figure them out. And we had me like scatting. Please listen. Blah, blah, blah. And it actually sounded kind of cool. And we almost, we had a series of really serious conversations about whether we were going to not have lyrics and whether it was just actually going to be noises and whether that was avant-garde and referenced yeah, the way that sort of modern delivery because a lot of the time it's just kind of you can't hear what's going on whether it goes hip hop or not. So we thought that would be quite cool, but I think that was a bit almost um, it's not that it was slapstick, it's like, yeah, but we have four minutes to say something, yeah, it's quite an abstract idea, yeah. I think. So then I just wrote all of those um, amazing lyrics, John. <laughs> <laughs> but then, um, use the Vocoder, or is it auto tune? Yeah, that's that. that I, I performed with the auto tune, right? So that that the auto tune wrote a lot of that. I would love to hear that performance <laughs> yeah. without it because oh, I had sorry. it on in my headphones. Been right? able to I had it on in my headphones, so I'm going, that. "Would you please listen?" And I'm like fully in pitch, like it sounds amazing. If you listen to it, I'm literally going, hey, "Listen, <laughs> please." And um, and um, so, but it's because that um. Thing is with the autotune, it's not like a reference to now, and it's not like so. It's like or it's, even the word autotune. It's like it's part of. It's an instrument in itself, and like I grew up with it all over records as being like a not something that was there to make sure you could you were fooling somebody. You know, it's just part of the modern no, world. This is yeah. incredibly sonically pleasing. Now, was Kanye without the autotune when I was eighteen? Like, yeah, it was. Nothing. It was such a. I mean, as soon as it came out, the first pop song with autotune was Cher, and it was like the biggest thing yeah, in the world. Exactly. Yeah. People didn't know. People didn't know why they liked it. They just thought that is very pleasing. It's to so pleasing. To. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And I love this. Like we're like a, one of the only emo bands that survived emo. You know, like emo is because we didn't have our time during that time. But there's been this huge third wave crossover of people really celebrating that kind of you know, real emo up to like my chemical romance levels kind of emo thing. And there's been this massive crossover with modern young black music, like a hip hop coming out of like, you know, your Atlantis and place like that. So had these really interesting, as controversial as they may be characters, you know, like triple X and people like that, where there's this like emo rap music. And um, I think that we felt like we'd maybe paved the way a little bit for that kind of thing. So we wanted to have a song that represented that. Yeah. It's probably the most sort of, observational in terms of for a bit it was but then it just became another song that we got excited about i think that we probably yeah. talk ourselves up too much if we say that the intellectualization about the idea lasts longer than it well i guess it's not a million miles away from almost starting to be ironic which is kind of what scared us about it <laughs> as well so we're like, yeah, let's do like a traps, like auto-tune beat thing, but let's actually it, make it really yeah, good. Yeah, and I think as soon as it became just another 1975 song, yeah. we, we, all that stuff goes out the window. Exactly, it? yeah. But um, it's so, more what everyone says is it's it's like a really psychedelic version of one of those 
Well, well it is quite beats. psychedelic. It was kind of trippy time. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so what happened first? What what did you put down first? It was very it was quick. This was probably the. Music. We ate a bunch of those mushrooms and it didn't work. But that was part <laughs> of the intention for this because it was getting really hallucinogenic. The whole thing. But then they just made us sick. <laughs> Rome like passed out, like fainted. <laughs> um, um, yeah. No, we were. This was quite quickly made, though, this beat, wasn't it? Yeah, it was um, really quick. It was like three chords, and then you just went in hard. and, and it, it, it. But this was another thing as well. Like I wanted this to be really loopy, really repetitive, really, like, not obnoxious, but, like, you know, like, really on the nose. And um, I remember playing it to Jamie, and it just made us feel good. Like, it's good. There's a lot of anxiety. When the lyrics were in there, it got a bit like, oh, God, this is quite intense. But it was just really uplifting, sort of sounds do you know what i mean um i've really enjoyed playing this live because i have the auto-tune and stuff and it's on like full and i can like scream and deliver the, the combination of somebody screaming in perfect pitch has never really doesn't really ha has never really happened um and it's really exhilarating thing to do it just feels amazing yeah, you know, because it's, it's conviction along with nailing it. Even though I'm not, yeah. but I am to you know to the to to me and to everyone else. So. Yeah, I think it's the the sort of the obvious thing that's hard hitting is the beat as it is the in, as it is in those <laughs> ideas, and those kind of songs. But yeah, the idea of screaming into an auto tune. What makes a traditional trap in, beat, George? What are the comp? What does it? What's it? Uh, well, first you have to take a young chop snare drum. Which is uh, <laughs> yeah, you do need the young producer. chop. Start the young chop. <laughs> this is the, everyone will have heard the snare drum before. It's got a. It's actually got a clap on as well. But um, it's that super resonant sort of. Let's so build the beat for us then. Build, let's build okay. it from the snare. And then you have lots of machine gun hi hats. <laughs> it comes from like metalcore, you know, all yeah. of this. It's like a breakdown. <laughs> Like that moshing, you see where all these arm movements come from now. It's like it's the same, it's the same tempo. It's never really existed in anything outside metalcore. Hey. Oh actually, yeah, the bass drum in this is pitched to the bass line, which I oh, keep yeah, the forgetting as well. So the bass drum plays the bass mm. line in this, so everything's musical. Mm. Which is kind of weird. I always forget about that. Yeah, it is. So you've got one set of hi hats just going tat 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 tat. And then what else we got? So that became part of the beat. Me going, oh. That's just all me singing and George turning it into an instrument. I like the bow. And they got the so that's a 1975 trick a chord a chord playing a root and a fifth doing one note 
ga. We do that in everything. Ga. The sound. Ga. It's like ga ga ga. Well, I know when you're a ga 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 ga. It has the strings playing the same note. We do it in UGH. We got that from Prince. We got that from Prince. <laughs> I want to be your lover. Ga 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 ga. That one guitar part that he plays. Synth stab, we call that. So we put it on everything. Ga ga ga. Because you're always getting harmony. Ga. Gags, the bass line's changing. Ba, 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 ba. So it sounds like with this track, you discussed the idea of having this kind of a track and what it might be like. We then you started. We did after George was like no 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 what happened was i was playing the keyboard da, da, da. and then george yeah this was the first and we were like oh maybe if we had like a da da this is the kind of music we listen to really you know like young you know all that kind of music yeah yeah this is what i was playing right and so then he put a beat george to it. just come in and just goes so then we knew, okay, this is where it lives. And then I was like, what should I do? But I can't go, screw, screw, So I'll just do like, you know, my version of Kanye. You know, yeah. so it, was, it went from there. And I just went straight in the booth and I was literally going, and that lasted for ages. Um, but I didn't want to change the chords because it's wicked that it's just always... It's not resolving as well, so you can always go back to it like, oh, it's another verse, oh, it's another chorus, oh, it's another thing. It's like never, it's like unrelenting. But it's yeah. actually quite simple in its arrangement. There's, yeah. not, there's not way yeah. too much going on because it's kind of about space as well. And it sounds like you just went with the flow. So, I mean, you've got that kind of scatting thing going on. Yeah, I, I wrote a couple of hooks yeah. and then repeated them. So the main ones were, please listen, listen, and Anna is that designer? I'm as a banner. That was the only things that I had, and then I kind of phonetically wrote it. So I was like, I've got okay. Well, so I'm a banner. What's that? Design designer. Okay, what do I mean by that? And it's go that kind of that way. So there's a, you've got a, the glass bottle breaking as well, haven't you? The classic head cars bending, push, smash a glass bottle sound. What's that? It's rubbish. <laughs> thought it was really dramatic and cool well unfortunately we are running out of time but I do have some more questions for you but before I ask you those questions um, let's hear the finished version of that track I'm scared of dying Let's 
I like America and America likes me. It is the 1975 on tape notes. But before I let you both go, I've got some questions uh, from sure. like regular questions we ask people, techie-type questions, sure. and some questions that have come through via Instagram and cool, stuff like that. Cool. Um, people who listen to tape notes. So as the repeating questions, what is the best piece of advice you've ever been given that's helped you in your career? Um, don't approach your old material as the artist you were then. Approach it as the artist you are now. That's simple. Excellent. Um, is there one bit of kit, a plug-in or an instrument um, that you could not live without? OP1 at the moment. CLA vocals. CLA vocals. <laughs> Chris Lord Algae, his vocal plug-in. It's, it's amazing. amazing. It is amazing. Really, He's a weird guy, but really shout good. out to Chris Lord Algae. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> When writing, do you ever think about how a song will be performed live or do you not worry about that? Don't worry about that. Yeah. I mean, I'm getting the impression. You get excited about it. Yeah, yeah. But I don't worry about it. You've got to listen. If you're a, if you're a band and you can't play your songs, work in a bank. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, just watching you today, I mean, it's like you're performing the songs when you're just talking about we them. We love it, man. Yeah. Just li- yeah. You've got to live for it. It's like our label. We don't sign artists who want to do it. We sign artists that have to do it. We sign artists that are going to do it anyway. Yeah. We're just one of those artists. Yeah. Um, and some listener questions then. Love Point from Brighton. How did you end up getting Roy Hargrove on the album? Um, how many times did he listen to Mine Sincerity before playing on the Very, very little, very few, I imagine. Shout out to Roy, who's tragically passed. Well, yeah, you know, tragically passed since, um, since the making of that record. Roy was, Mine and George's, two of our favourite records of all time come from D'Angelo, mm. Voodoo and, um, and Brown, Sh- Brown Sugar. Sugar yeah. And then... Um, the horns on those records are so well-balanced and so quiet. They're so restrained. There's something about Roy's arrangement and playing that has this, like, feel of jazz, but it's so... It's just dynamic. The, the, the range and dynamic that he plays over, like, one little riff or, like, just something is... I mean, just... And also he can play within major pentatonic scale which isn't which is like most jazz musicians worst nightmare but he does it and he gives and us he, these little better 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 and it's like oh man that's really you didn't you didn't need to be that gracious with your jazz you know <laughs> I thought he was gonna, so um he, he he was this amazing and to talk about like how how long he spoke we, we did a mine and sincerity remotely he actually only played in, in on mine and we took things that he played on mine and turned them into the horn parts of sincerity so um he, I only ever met Roy once and he came in to play on If I Believe You and he walked in, he was very, very quiet. He stood in the room, he listened to it twice. Then he put down three takes and he told us he was done. And we believed <laughs> he him. He came in, he came in and we were like, have you heard the track? He was like, yeah, 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 I've heard the track, heard the track. And then walked in the live room and was like, what key is it in? And we're like, he hasn't heard the track. He hasn't heard the track, but he didn't does, need to. Just one, does two takes. And then he's like, I think that's it. And we're like... Uh, could we just please maybe have a third? Just in case we need it. And he's like, go on, I'll do you one more. And he just killed it. So, yeah, he was amazing. He could have done it in one. Yeah, he's, he's just But it was about so trying graceful, to get... So graceful, there's things that he chooses to play. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Um, Alex from Tombridge wants to know, why is Adam's name in capitals on the album? I don't know. Is it? Is it? Um, Cheeky. It's not. Oh, we've got the record label saying it's not. Oh, for so, PRS? It's kind of cool. It might be like he's trying to do like a Bowie thing or something. <laughs> I'm kind of into it. I like that. Okay, Adam's trying to turn himself into a kind of pantheon of culture, I think, is the answer to that. So, so let him do his thing. 
OJ from Dartford, if you had £2,000 to spend, would you spend it on one nice vintage keyboard or several synth VSTs? Oh, good question. Are you asking us personally? Yes. We're fortunate enough to be able to buy the synth now. But would you actually want to? Like you, I would you 100% don't need to. buy VSTs yeah. because you, could, you can also get... Uh, models of all the classic stuff now Arturia and all the Moog stuff there's an element there's an element legacy stuff so you're you're, you're kind of saying that you could for two thousand pounds you could get much much more yeah if you want to make music if you want if you want to sit at home and drool buy the synth but if you want to apply it to your art by this by the vsts i just we've become kind of collectors of, of instruments and stuff like that. So I'm always going to say, Oh, get the nice synth, but not if you are actually practically. Yeah. We didn't have any until no, this didn't. record, to be honest. Right. I had like a couple of bass moogs cause you can't really beat the low end of a moog. Um, but we didn't but have before, the- before brief inquiry. I, did, I even for like it when you sleep, I didn't really have much no, in terms of hardware or analog stuff. Yeah. So practicality first. Create yeah. and create the opportunities by yeah. having the stuff, yeah. that, and then if you need to, you also can speed is is incredibly important exactly. if you're trying to create. Uh, which sounds sounds a bit silly, but um, all mixers would say the same thing as well. The quicker that you can carry out the first bit of a mix, and that gives you uh, some objectivity, is so crucial. And the last thing you want to do is trying to be tuning a synth or trying to get a sound forever and ever when by the time you found it you can't remember what part you're playing yeah, just exactly. just yeah. be really quick and it'll it'll mean that you pick up sort of creative momentum yeah 100%. yeah i think i mean we've really got a sense of that i think today in this conversation um of of how that creative momentum is is so fundamental to what it doesn't come looking for you as well it's like you're not going to be sat there and go oh i have an idea that's not how it happens. It has to be provoked. You have to sit there and be like, okay, this doesn't work and this isn't working. This, this isn't a thing. This isn't a thing. I'm bored. I'm hungry, whatever. And there'll be the synth, the synth or the keyboard or the whatever. I'll do one thing slightly different. And that is your portal into a whole other realm of possibilities. Do you know what I mean? You just need to be there. You need to turn up every day. That's the thing. That's how we make records. We live with each other every day. I don't want, we don't write mine together every day, but we turn up every day. That's what it's about, man. It's about, you know, you you might not be inspired to write, but you 100% won't write if you're not there. You just need to turn up. Fantastic. George, Matty, thank you so much. Thanks for having us. Thank you. It's, it's been, been really, a joy. It's been really, really fun. Really fun. Excellent. Thanks a lot. Thanks. And to play us out, what better way to round up our conversation than by playing I Like America and America Likes Me? Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode. If you have a moment, do tell your friends and leave us a review. It all really helps. Thanks to those of you who have already donated to the show. I'm just one part of the team that brings you tape notes. It relies on your support. If you'd like to donate, please head to our website. To ask a question on a future episode or find out who's coming up, 
Head to our socials and on Instagram you can see pictures from the recording sessions for each episode of Tape Notes. Thank you for listening. Until next time, goodbye.